Welcome everyone, and thank you for joining our Upside Avenue educational webinar series. This series is developed with your input. We surveyed our investors and followers to find out what financial and investment topics everyone is interested in learning about. And then we look for subject matter experts all over the country who can speak on these topics in hopes of providing you with the knowledge and confidence to discover your upside. So watch your email for information on our next webinar, and we'll also share it on our social media channels on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So today we are so grateful to have a speaker who has helped many individuals, business owners, and families discover their life's purpose through proper stewardship of what he calls true wealth. He spent 15 years in commercial real estate space before he moved into wealth management in 1993. His firm, Family Wealth Leadership, has helped people discover and refine their personal value and service to others in order to maximize their significance to their family and to the world, and has shared many of these strategies in his book, You Can Have It All, Wealth, Wisdom, and purpose. And in his spare time, he is busy being a grandfather, attending all his grandchildren's soccer, baseball, and basketball games, although probably not right now with, with the pandemic that we're experiencing. So without further ado, please help me welcome our friend from Family Wealth Leadership, Kip Colson. Welcome, Kip. Um, how are you doing with sheltering in place? <clears throat> Well, as you just mentioned, with the exception of going through uh, grandchildren sports withdrawal and uh, having to cut my hair because I couldn't get a barber, uh, <laughs> things are great. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm I normally have a little more hair than I ha have right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really, really excited about this topic about teaching children about money. Um, I've got two sons in their early 20s. You know, they're starting their life um, on their own now. And, uh, you know, I want to make sure that they know how to manage their money and be able to take care of themselves. But not only that, especially after we're gone, um, I want to make sure that their kids are taken care of and the, and the future generations and so on. So I'm really excited about this topic. Thank you. And, um, let me start by focusing a little bit on you. You uh, talked a little bit about it on in your introduction. Uh, as you're looking at our logo there, I really want the audience to focus on those three words at the bottom, service, stewardship, and significance. Uh, at Family Wealth Leadership, we really start from the point of view that it's not about the wealth. It's not about the money and the possessions. What it's really about is the people in a family. And we believe that everybody has this desire to be significant. The question is, what is that? Well, significance is not the same as success. Success can be temporary, whereas significance is permanent and ongoing. And you also need to understand that significance is not something you can do by yourself. It requires other people. And that leads us to the service portion of what is on the screen here. And service is how we start this process where we try to sit down with people to identify what is the value that they can bring to the world, recognizing that everybody's unique and everybody has different values and talents and abilities. 
And then, as you indicated uh, a few minutes ago, it's the stewardship of what we call the four T's of true wealth. And I don't have time to get into the detail, but the four T's of true wealth as we define them are a person's time, talent, training, and treasures. So if they can properly steward their time, talent, training, and treasures in order to produce the service and the values that they can pr uh, provide the world, then they can potentially achieve significance. Perfect, wonderful. So let's start with this little uh, proverb at the top of this blue circle, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. And that's become pretty popular in the uh, financial industry because what it's defining is a rule, basically almost a law that says that 70% of wealth will be lost every time it moves from one generation to the next. And again, that has been proven throughout history in every society and every country in the world. So it's not a question of if, it's pretty much gonna happen unless the family takes steps to overcome that law. <clears throat> it's also true that 70% of businesses, family businesses are out of business after the first generation and only 3% survive to the third generation. So let's take a look at kind of what that looks like as far as the numbers are concerned. So for every million dollars of net worth that a family has, when they transfer it to their children, and that 70% kicks in, that means they're only gonna have $300,000 to play with. And when they transfer it to the great grandkids, that 70% kicks in, and again, now they only are gonna have $90,000, and by the end of the great, 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 great grandkids, they're gonna have zero. That's the point, and that's what we're trying to overcome. It is true that the greatest transfer of wealth, and when I say the greatest transfer, the estimate is somewhere between 30 to $40 trillion is going to be going from this generation to future generations. The problem is that, that those generations have not acquired the values, the principles, the skills, and experience necessary to be good stewards. And part of the problem is what I just defined. These children are growing up in a world where they are ill-prepared to deal with money and finance and investments. And in a lot of cases, they, don't even, they can't tell a mutual fund from a checkbook. So I, they, they really don't have the skill set. But there's a bigger issue, and it's something in our industry we call affluence. And the idea is it's a, like a disease, like the flu, but it's a disease that is created by wealth where mom and dad, because they can afford to do everything and pay for everything, they keep throwing money at every issue in the family. And as a result, these children grow up in a world of entitlement. So let's take a look at what entitlement looks like. You wrote in to me, tell me what you wanted me to get straight with your mom. I want my mom to understand that I can't live off of $1,000 a month and I grew up on a certain lifestyle. She can't just take that away from me immediately. If someone took her lifestyle away from her, she wouldn't like that. And I grew up on it. It's all I ever know. I can't deal with this. So you want me to get her to do what? What would be the home run for you? I need her to understand that I need at least $2,500 a month. You want a G-Wagon for oh, your yeah. 16th I, birthday? I need my G-Wagon. There's no question. I need it. She wants to give me a Mercedes 
C-Class. <laughs> I, I will accept that car. No, I, would. I started no, no, with no, a Honda listen, or a Toyota, and then listen, it barely gets. I will be happy with that car, but the thing is, I want my G-Wagon. <laughs> Really? A C-Class? But we started with a, like a Honda, a Toyota. I got A started Absolutely with a Toyota. Absolutely not. I will not be driving anything that can be considered an Uber X. Uber uh, Lux and above. My car doesn't cost $231,000. Why not? I mean, why doesn't it? Well, that just seems like an exorbitant amount to spend on a car. It just seemed foolish to me. I, would, I just wouldn't spend it on a car. Well, I, I want to. We're talking so, about me here. Yeah, this is so, my show. You need to work out something where she becomes productive and makes a contribution to society instead of taking from society. I think the best thing would be to start with a job. No. Yeah, absolutely no. she needs a job. No! <laughs> you, you need a job. No, I don't want a job! Well, I know. So this, uh, this quote here, I think everybody should memorize. It says, every time you give something to your children, you take something else away. What is your giving depriving your children of? So Jessica, I'll ask you a question. As you look, watch that video, who was the villain? daughter's attitude is very villainous. I don't know if you, that's where you're going with it though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think again, it's really easy for us to take a look at that young lady and cast the blame on her. But I think we have to remember what happened here is the parents, obviously if they're giving her $2,500 a month as a 15 year old, um, they've trained this young lady to be who she is today. And that's really the point. And the second question I have is, what did their giving deprive this young lady of? And I would submit to you, they've taken away her self-confidence um, because what's gonna happen, heaven forbid, but let's assume for a minute after the parents pass away and for whatever reason, all of the wealth is lost and now this young lady has to actually go out and survive on her own. She's not gonna do well. So go ahead, we can advance. So let's look at a very simple situation. Uh, in this case, we have two sixth grade girls. They come home from school one day with notes to their parents saying that the school's trying to raise some money for some additional school supplies. And mom and dad, they hand a note to mom and dad, and now mom and dad have a choice. So let's assume for a minute that the first set of parents do unfortunately what I think most parents would probably do and that's they'd write a check and they'd give it to her to take back to the school. But let's assume that the second uh, parents say, you know what honey, we could write a check but wouldn't it be a lot better if it, this came from you? So let's figure out how we can give you the opportunity to raise sufficient funds to give to the school. And this is a proverb that underlies everything we do here at Family Wealth Leadership. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Please focus on that first sentence. It says, train a child in the way he should go. 
It does not say in the way the parents want him to go, in the way the parents want to dictate that he should go, or the way the parents want to manipulate him to go. So let's, uh, so I took a look at something really uh, very simple that I think most everybody's probably experienced some point in time in their life, and that's a lemonade stand. And I like the idea of the lemonade stand because if you think about it, it's really what I would call a micro business. And as a business, it needs all the things that a business needs to do. Well, first of all, it's got to develop a plan. So mom and dad have to sit down with their daughter and start looking at all of these issues. And one of those issues is location. Well, are we going to set up on the front lawn or do we want to go up on the street corner where we potentially have more traffic? And then there's the question of design. Are we going to get really fancy or do we want to keep it simple? Because if we get fancy, we're going to have to spend a little bit more money. That's going to increase our costs. If we do go fancy, well, then we got to go down to, let's call it Home Depot. We got to get some lumber, some nails. So we got to do, deal with the materials, but then we also have to deal with the supplies. Well, we need lemons. We need sugar. We're probably going to need some ice to keep everything cold. We may need a ice chest so we can transport the lemonade and we need cups and we need a, a pitcher to keep it in so we can pour it. And then there's the hours of operation. Well, for example, what day of the week do we wanna do this and what time of the day? Or do we wanna do it maybe two days? So for example, maybe we do it on a Friday and we catch the coming home traffic at four o'clock in the afternoon or maybe we go to lunchtime or on Saturday, Maybe we set it up again in the late afternoon when it's warm and people are out jogging, walking their dogs, you know, just uh, walking the kids. And then we have to differentiate between the fixed and the variable costs. Well, the lemonade stand is the fixed cost. The variables would be the lemons, the sugar, and so forth. And obviously, variable cost means if you can sell more lemon lemonade, you got to have more lemons. The biggest issue is how do we price lemonade? I mean, is it a dollar a cup? I guess that depends on the size of the cup. And if you don't have a profit margin in there, at the end of the day, you're not going to have anything to uh, give to the school. And then they have to determine how, what, how they're gonna accept payments. Now, lemonade stand is certainly not going to have uh, debit and credit card capabilities. But even on the cash, they have to put money in the till so they can make change and they need to know what dominations. So the point is, these are really just good financial principles of learning how to make change and how do you, uh, uh, you know, count out your money. So, and then a big one is marketing. How do we get the word out that we're even selling lemonade? Are we just going to put a sign on the, the, the stand itself? Or maybe do we want to pass out flyers in the neighborhood, go door to door? Uh, or do we want to have somebody that's walking up and down the street with a sign? And then there's the financing. And there's really three options here. Uh, the first is they can rob their piggy bank. Now, I doubt that a sixth grader is probably going to have enough money to cover the cost of all the materials and the, the supplies. So uh, Jessica, what's the next normal thing that they do? Uh, ask parents for money. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but if you think about that, isn't that in essentially the same as if the mom and dad had just written the check directly to the school to begin with? Yeah. So better to actually create it as a loan. 
Now, again, this isn't because mom and dad are greedy. The point is, it's an opportunity to teach children that when they get it out into the real world, there's some things they're not going to be able to afford, and they're going to have to go to the bank or go to a lender and borrow money to buy their house, their car. So the point is not, again, that mom and dad uh, are trying to take advantage of a situation. They're just trying to teach the children how to uh, handle debt. Then the third opportunity, potentially, is the young lady may say, well, you know what? I can turn this into a joint venture, and I can go get three or four of my friends to rob their piggy bank, and we'll create this little business to sell lemonade. And then, of course, they have to implement. And the real, I really want to focus though on that little phrase there, make it a family project. Again, part of what we're trying to do is bring the family together. And, and you know, and dad can help if they decide to build the stand. He can help that or even set up the, the uh, card table or a folding table. And mom is going to help with uh, making the lemonade. But I can assure you that 20 to 30 years later, uh, there's going to be a time when everybody's sitting around the table when somebody's going to say, hey, remember when we did this? Or when they have to deal with their children in a similar situation, they're going to be able to say, well, here's how we handled that problem when I was your age. And of course, then there's the operations. They got to deal with sales, accounting, manufacturing, and then ultimately have to close down the business. So what are we gonna do with the stand? Uh, what do we have with the leftover assets? Well, they probably have maybe some leftover lemons and so forth. If there was a, a joint venture or debt in place, if you will, they gotta replace that. And then they gotta deal with distributing out the profits. Excuse me. Uh, so looking at uh, these two parents, what child do you think probably will have a much better foundation and preparation for life when she gets out into the real world? And I'd like to think it was the child that uh, was given opportunity. An opportunity is the key word here because everything in life is really an opportunity, but it's also a learning opportunity. So really think about what you can do to give your children opportunity rather than just handing them a check. Now, it's going to be a lot more difficult, as you can tell, creating that lemonade stand took some work and effort than writing a check, but it will be well worth it. And the whole point is uncertainty is the product of a lack of preparation. And when these children grow up and get out into the real world, I mean, let's face it, we all know there are no certainties in the world. Every day has new challenges and there's trials and errors. And sometimes we succeed, sometimes we fail. But with preparation, even though it will not eliminate uncertainty, it can provide us the weapons and the confidence to conquer it and better prepare the children when they get, uh, get out into the real world. So I will turn it back to you at this point, Jessica. Great, thank you. Um, please use the Q&A function, everyone, to um, ask your questions. And while you're putting your questions in, um, I have a question. So my kids are, you know, college age kids. They're in their, you know, early 20s. Is it too late for them? They're, they're adults now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great question. And, and the simple answer is it's never too early and it's never too late. 
But let me use a relatively simple example, and I will use your family because I do know you have two children. Uh, let's assume for a moment that your older son, who has graduated uh, from college, maybe with an MBA degree, he's gone out into the world, he's uh, been very successful at the job that he's had, but he comes to you one day and he says, you know, mom and dad, I'm really at that point where I want to have my own business. Uh, I know I'm going to inherit some money sometime in the future, but I can't wait 20 or 30 years. And I need capital because I'm going to have to hire some people. I've got to buy equipment. I've got to rent space. It would sure be great if I could get an advance, if you will, on my inheritance. And I need about, let's call it $200,000 to get started. And at that point, you and your husband, I would imagine, would probably be thinking, well, you know, he's a good kid. This could be really great for him. We think he could be successful. I think we should consider this. Now, I know your boys are really good boys, but let's assume for a moment that the younger one, uh, he really barely got out of high school. Uh, he really has never had a job. I live in California, so we'll assume he's the surfer type. Uh, that he likes, really likes to be down on the beach every day with all of his buddies. Uh, but at that point, when he hears about his older brother getting this advance, what's he going to do? Oh, I hear a lot of um, kicking and screaming, no fair, it, I'm je you know, jealous reaction probably. Exactly, exactly. And at that point, you and your husband are in a very difficult position. So, for example, the three choices that you actually have is, again, if you give it to the first son and not to the second son, well, that's going to create disharmony in the family. Uh, you could give it to both. The problem is, if you give it to the son who has not learned how to produce and be a good steward, it's basically like giving it to that young lady in the video. The chance that that 70% statistical kick in is that he unfortunately potentially would lose it all. Or the third alternative is you say, you know what, I'm not going to do anything because this is kind of a no-win situation. Did that solve the problem? No, because uh, the older son now is like, oh, he's looking at his brother and saying, you know, you're always messing up my deals. <laughs> so, so that's not a good situation either. So let's take you and your husband out of the picture for a moment and let's replace you with something we call the family enterprise holding company. Uh, the industry calls it a family office. And there's thousands of family offices throughout the world. But let's assume for a moment, again, that we do our, create this. And this is an actual entity. It has a legal structure. And the purpose is it retains the assets of the family in this business. And the reason we like calling it a holding company is because of that implication that the purpose here is to take those investor, those assets and keep investing them and investing them to grow them over time to, give, uh, to, to build more wealth for the entire family. So if we do that, now when your older son comes in, it's like going down to the bank. He's got to produce a balance or a, uh, I'll say a, a business plan, a marketing plan. He's got to demonstrate how he can repay the loan because it's Again, it's got to be repaid. This isn't a gift. Or it could be that the family holding company that is made up of all of the family, they act as a board of directors. So the board of directors may include uh, you, your husband, both sons, and then you might probably want to have a couple of non-family member third parties 
as part of that board of directors. And their purpose is to review all the investments. They're like a loan committee and an investment committee. And if this makes sense and they can see how it will continue to build the assets and the value of the family holding company, then your son potentially gets the loan. So, but let's go to your other son, your younger son. So he now can come in potentially and ask again, but he's got to jump through the same hoops. And if he doesn't want to jump through the same hoops, then he doesn't get the money. But now that's his decision. That's not your decision. So he can't turn around again and say, well, that's not fair. Uh, the second alternative might be that you would then be able to say, you know, let's get you tested. Let's find out what you could really be good at. And then we will get you trained. We'll pay some money to do that. And we'll try to help you be successful. Now, again, that doesn't work. I'm not suggesting that's uh, a utopia and that it works all the time. But at least now, uh, the, the point of it is, he's made the decision. You didn't make that decision. And let me, in closing, cover just a couple of more benefits of, of why we like doing this uh, type of thing. Instead of giving uh, traditional estate planning is what I call divide and divide, which is usually most estate planning is done by uh, math. You know, I've got five children. Everybody gets 20%. Uh, the problem with that, it almost encourages that 70% statistic to kick in because some of those kids will lose the wealth. So to that point, <clears throat> the heirs will potentially be even wealthier if we keep it in the family because remember, the heirs are actually still the stakeholders. So when mom and dad pass away, they now will become the owners of the holding company. So they potentially will have more wealth than if we would give it away and have that 70% statistic kick in. There's also something what I, that I call mass and influence. And that idea is that if you have $10 million versus $1 million, you can do a lot more with $10 million. And people look at you a little differently. You know, if you go down to the bank to, uh, because you want to borrow money and you only have a million dollars and you have, or, and you can put in the bank versus $10 million, you're probably going to get the loan a lot easier with $10 million. And then there's opportunities that could be created because as the family's investing in other things, especially if they're doing like private equity deals or buying companies or starting companies. And again, I realize I'm talking about big stuff here. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be that big. And while I'm thinking of it, let me also say, for the family that can't afford to do all of this very fancy stuff, even if it's a lot simpler, we can still set up what I would call a virtual family office. So. It, it doesn't have a formal structure, but the principles and the methodologies can still all be applied, even in a much simpler situation. So anyhow, there's these potential for the a child getting involved in, for example, a business that the family office buys. Uh, diversification. Well, using my 10 million, 1 million analogy, if you can invest a million dollars, that maybe allows you to get in two nice investments versus $10 million, you could get into 10 to 20. And then there's access to a large pool of wealth that all of the heirs and the children still have in that if they need to buy homes, if they need to um, go to college and get educated, <clears throat> if they need to buy a business, they can still come to the family office and present their proposal. But the point is it will fund what is needed. It won't fund all of their wants like a G-class Mercedes, okay? <laughs> and then there's the relational uh, relationship advantages. 
know, in today's world, families are so dispersed in many cases throughout the world, that's really difficult for the family to come together. Maybe they get together at Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas. I will tell you with my two sons who all live in the same area, we have not spent a Thanksgiving and Christmas together since they got married. Because there's, now there's all the other families in, that are involved. Uh, but my point is, if you have this business, it has to have at least an annual business meeting to determine uh, what we're going to do in the future and, and see the results of what they've done in the past and make decisions. Well, now we can turn that family uh, or that business meeting into a family event. So, for example, if uh, the family says, you know what, we're going to go to Disney World this year. And that's where we're going to have the family business meeting. Well, the first morning, or, uh, part four hours in the morning, let's say before lunchtime is business, but then the rest of the afternoon and evening can be about fun. So again, the idea is we're bringing the family together for opportunities for family bonding. And you know, a lot of times in, in today's world, uh, sometimes nephews and nieces don't know other nephews and nieces <laughs> so, and cousins. Um, access to wisdom, and knowledge and innovation. You know, and unfortunately in today's world, sometimes the seniors have kind of been put on the shelf and they've got this wealth of information and wisdom that they've accumulated over the years and nobody's asking them, you know, how do I tap into that? But likewise, we have this younger generation that's much more innovative, much more advanced. It would be good for the older portion of the family to have access to that information and experience. The biggest factor in families being destroyed by the wealth is a lack of communication. So again, what we're doing is we're creating an environment for communication and managing expectations because two people can look at the same situation and come up with completely different ideas of what they should expect. But this way we have open communication and we have the opportunity to put all the problems and I guarantee you based on my experience in working families, They've got issues that go back to childhood, that they've been sweeping under the rug, that when it comes time for mom and dad, when they pass on and to distribute the estate, if it's done normally, uh, the people sitting around the table will be the kids and their lawyers, and it'll become a big, huge battle. And the other issue is trust. As communication goes down, trust in families goes down with it. And those are the two issues that hopefully we can start to address by having these conversations. So that's it. Great. And I, you know, just to summarize, I think, you know, if I'm understanding correctly, if we take that family office model um, and then from a more practical standpoint, basically what you're, you're suggesting is to have regular, you know, family meetings, family, you know, within your uh, you know, mom, dad, and kids have family meetings, establish, you know, as like a family office would, um, establish what the overall goals are, you know, for spending the money. So as a family, you would meet with your kids, you know, even at a very young age, hey, we're, you know, planning on going vacation or we're, you know, we, we, we want to do this and involve those kind of discussions with the kids so they get exposed to communicating about money and, and having a part in making a decision on how to spend the money uh, within the family. Is that basically what yeah, you're, you're that, that was very intuitive. 
<clears throat> yeah, because again, a lot of times when we're talking to families, we get this response of, well, I don't want the children to know how much money we have because I'm afraid it's going to spoil them and, they're, and it's going to disincentivize them. And the example or the metaphor I use for that is it's a little bit like, let's assume that the family has a family airplane and dad is the pilot, mom's the co-pilot, and all the kids are loaded in the back. Well, if dad has a heart attack and nobody else knows how to fly that airplane, that plane's going into the ground. Wouldn't it have been better to have a situation where everybody has their pilot's license, if you will, and has learned, they know how to read a compass, they know how to read an altimeter, they can get back to the airport and land the plane successfully. Well, it's very exactly what you're just talking about. Why not bring your children into this process right now, even in a simple, you know, again, for you with, with children that are in their 20s, all these decisions, they should know what they're ultimately going to be responsible for. And, we should and you should have those conversations now because part of it is in those conversations, when you bring up issues, you'll also start to see which of the children are going to be responsible and which are not. Because again, if, especially if you, you're talking about significant amount of wealth, you may not want one of the children to have all that wealth because you know it will screw them up. And you would pre prefer to have the child who can be more responsible, even if it means that child taking care. And that la last comment, it is impossible to create documents wills and trusts that can anticipate all of the issues that your children and grandchildren will face sometime in the future. Because you don't know yet who's going to get married, who's not going to get married. You don't know what's going to happen as well as who's going to have children and not have children. You don't know about physical issues. You know, grandchildren, great grandchildren could be born with issues where they need help and they may need more help than somebody. You don't know if one is a doctor and one is a teacher. Well, does the doctor really need the same amount of inheritance that the teacher may need or a missionary or somebody like that? So that's, you're, you're, that was a great question. Perfect. Um, we've got some questions from our um, viewers here. Um, one question is, um, are there any reading recommendations or maybe even tips that you have that have, um, that you have for parents on this topic on how to have this conversation with young adults? Well, I'll be a little self-serving and say, yeah, read my book. <laughs> that was the whole purpose of writing the book. Uh, but yeah, there are plenty of people out there that, uh, another one that I would suggest that you read uh, is called Preparing Errors. That's H-E-I-R-S, Preparing Errors. It was written by a gentleman. He has since passed away. He's, he was here locally in my area, uh, Roy Williams, and he's got a co-author. But it is really kind of one of the best books to read. Uh, I, I will tell you this, and again, I know you're going to flash up my information here shortly. Uh, if anybody has some those kind of questions, because uh, again, I, I, I'd like to go through, through my, my library and I can give you some more names and, and titles. Uh, I'd be happy to respond uh, with and answer those kind of questions and send you whatever information I can. Perfect. Um, uh, one person wants you to comment on how do you think the current education system has helped or created this current cultural problem of kids not understanding how to properly handle money? Uh, I will be, uh, unfortunately, a, a little political and biased at that point. 
uh, I think they've done a terrible job. The truth is you don't learn anything in college. I mean, now maybe if you take a business course or an accounting course, something like that, yes, then you might uh, get a, a sense of these things. But again, remember so many of these kids, unfortunately, they come out of co uh, colleges today with degrees that really aren't gonna prepare them for the world. Um, I mean, even in today's world, especially on, uh, because of our technology, they may be able to come out of college as a, a good programmer, uh, but that really doesn't tell them how they are going to be able to survive in life and what kind of decisions they have to make. Uh, I really believe that, and it kind of is everything I've been talking about, this is really a family issue. The other issue to your point and to that question is, the colleges, the universities today, the education system, I will tell you, I believe is not teaching your children the values and principles that work out in the real world. That's gotta be a family issue. You have to, um, and you know, I'll, I'll use a simple example. One of the other things we like to do if, they're, uh, <clears throat> if the family's open to it is create a family foundation because we're really big fans on getting the family involved in philanthropy. And the reason for that is not only does it do good, obviously, for the, the causes that you're funding, but more importantly, it's the values that it teaches your children, that it's not about you. Again, going back to that video, no, it's you don't get a $2,500 allowance uh, so you can go have a, a fancy car. Let's take that $2,500 and let's go help some other people. And we're really also big fans of what I call boots on the ground philanthropy. It's not just about writing checks. I would much rather see a family go on a, a mission trip, go, uh, go down into whatever their, their mid-city is to help feed the homeless, uh, or maybe to uh, help go again uh, to Africa or whatever, to help drill a water well, or go down into Mexico to help build an orphanage or a hospital or a church. I mean, the value, again, going back to my Disney World <laughs> example, I can guarantee you if, if the family takes a vacation to Disney World versus the family going off to, again, a foreign country to help feed children or whatever the cause is, as a group, again, 20 or 30 years from now, they're not gonna be talking about Disney World. They're gonna always remember what the family did when they went and saw the smile on children's faces when they were, had something to eat or they were able to put clothes on their back or give them medication, medicines, so. Perfect. Did I answer the question? <laughs> I think so, yes, thank you. Um, we have one more question here. Um, what are your services for parents? Do you have these services in India and in, in case it's a no, how can we start exploring um, in India? Wow, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I, have, I don't have a client in India yet, although I can tell you through my LinkedIn, I'm pretty well connected to almost every country in the world right now. Uh, and India is certainly one of those. Um, and India is, a, a, quite honestly, I do have some connections through my LinkedIn of people that are doing this in India and other countries. Uh, I will tell you this though, we have the advantage of what we're doing right now in that because of technology, uh, we can have, we, we can work with families everywhere. 
Uh, I mean, we, have, we do have uh, clients right now in other uh, states. And obviously, we can't be traveling back and forth all the time. Now, if it's a situation where we have to get heavily into the family coaching part of what we do, uh, then we probably would get on an airplane and go and spend time with the family. Uh, but a lot of times, it's, a lot of it can still be done virtu uh, virtually, if you will, through the kind of things we're now doing with Zoom and WebExes and so forth. Perfect. Let me, let me add one more thing while I'm thinking of it. Uh, I want to go back to, you know, I talked about giving your children. Uh, there's five phases of what happens in giving. The first gift is what we call uh, appreciation. That's that unexpected gift that you get and you're really thankful for it. The second gift is what I call uh, anticipation. And that's the idea, well, I didn't, you know, gee, I got a gift last year. There's no reason that I should get a gift this year, but maybe so-and-so will give, still give me a gift. And then when it shows up, you're still appreciative. Then we move to expectation. Well, expectation is that point where now you expect the gift. And if you don't get it, you're really disappointed. And, you know, again, all of us husbands know what happens when you forget your, your anniversary. That doesn't work really well. <laughs> That's an expected gift. And then we get to the level of entitlement, which is kind of like we were talking about with that young lady on the video. And then the fifth level is dependency. And that's when it's really destructive. And we've come up with 10 questions that you can apply every time you give a gift that could kind of help you sort that out or whether this gift is going to help or hurt somebody. And again, if anybody wants to email me and ask me to send them those 10 questions and what I just talked about, I'd be happy to do that. Perfect. And um, so I think, you know, taking your lessons from a lemonade stand, I think the first actionable step for, for our listeners as parents to take is really just have that family meeting with your children, no matter what age they are, and determine, you know, as a family, what is our purpose for spending the money and, you know, what, what, our, what our why is um, and, and how we want to spend our money and then come up with a plan um, on um, how to earn money if it's, if it's not being, you know, just given, help them learn how to basically develop a plan to earn that money and, and give them loans if they need to um, with the expectation of paying it back so they can start learning those, uh, you know, business management skills on how to handle their money in the future. Every opportunity is a learning opportunity. All right. So our first step is communication with our family. Absolutely. Right. Again, that's the whole point that communication is creating that opportunity for that open communication and discussion and again to manage expectations. Right. Well, thank you, Kip, for joining us and helping us learn a little bit more on how to have, um, you know, those difficult conversations about money with our kids and to ensure that the wealth, you know, we pass on to them have a greater chance of lasting through the generations. Um, and thank you to our listeners for joining us. Um, if you'd like to contact Kip, we've shared his contact information on the screen. Um, and if you'd like the content we've been sharing with you or have suggestions on other financial or investment topics you'd like us to cover, let us know. Um, we will find the subject matter experts like Kip who can speak on these topics. 
So watch your email for our next webinar. And we'll also share the information on uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. And um, we want you to discover your upside with Upside Avenue. So we provide access to professionally managed diversified portfolio of income producing multifamily real estate for as little as $2,000. And you can visit our website, upsideavenue.com, or send us an email or call us with any questions you might have. Thank you for joining us, Kip. Thank you again. Um, thank stay you. safe, everyone, and see you next time.